I told Micah that we like to rotate things around. This is just Micah's second Sunday in worship. We like to rotate things among the ministers. You won't have to do the children's time every time. But I personally wanted to hear what you do with the fig tree story. So I assigned that to him, to, to Micah for, uh, for the children's time. Micah, I like your ending. My ending's going to be different. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Why we're Baptist. So I want to say a little bit before I read the text, a part of which uh, Micah has just told you the story related there. And so I want to just say a few things about it just to help you get a good framework before we get started. The first, the, the text today is really two parts and lumped together because they do kind of go together. So the first part um, is Jesus telling us to repent? It's not a word, that's not a word I just love, repent. It, bring, it conjures up bad, it triggers me to repent. I'm just gonna say that from my growing up days. Fred Craddock says about this passage that this passage has these two distinct but related parts, verses one through five, then verses six through nine. And the first part recalls two tragic events to which we don't have any historical background on. So we don't really know what has happened. The first is a bloody, vengeful act by Pontius Pilate against Galileans at worship in Jerusalem. And the second is the collapse of a tower near the pool of Siloam. One was in the hands of human evil and one was from natural disaster. And it posed the universal question of why do bad things happen to good people? Jesus' response to both is that terrible happenings had nothing to do with the goodness or badness of people. Bad things happen sometimes. But almost unrelated to the answers to the questions, Jesus says we still must repent. There's that word again that I kind of bristle at. The question presumes a direct correlation between sin and suffering. And so they come to Jesus and they want to know if violence and suffering are random or according to divine law. And Jesus rejects those, kind of, those kinds of attempts at calculation, not only because they are futile, but also because they deflect attention from the primary issue. And here's the issue, the obligation of every person to live in penitence and trust before God. And that penitent trust is not to be linked to life's sorrows and life's joys. Life in the kingdom, Craddock says, is not an elevated gain game of gaining favors and avoiding losses. Barbara Brown Taylor says about this passage, calamity strikes and we wonder what we did wrong. We scrutinize our behavior, our relationships, our diets, our beliefs. We hunt for some cause to explain the effects in hope that we can stop causing it. What this tells us is that we are less interested in truth than consequences, she says. What we all crave above all is control over the chaos of our lives. And I think that's what causes us sometimes to ask those kinds of questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? Sometimes they happen because of poor choices. And sometimes they happen by natural disaster. 
but we always want to know what we did or they did to deserve such. And here Jesus indicates that we're asking the wrong questions and looking in the wrong places. And he just says, repent. But another way to say repent that makes me feel better about repent, because <laughs> it feels like something that we so desperately need, repentance is nothing but turning around, making a change. That doesn't make me bristle. That gives me energy and life and hope that we can turn, we can change. And then just about the time we're ready to throw our hands up and throw the towel in, we're told, give it one more year about the fig tree. So here's the text for today. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you change, unless you turn around, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, turn around, make a change. You will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. Give it another year. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. You've heard the ancient story.
My 90-something-year-old aunt died last year with COVID. She was a Furman graduate who spent her whole career as a middle school librarian. When I was a student at Lawrence Junior High School in Lawrence, South Carolina, one of my aunts taught me math, and another of my aunts was the school librarian. I would ride to school with one of them each morning, getting there way too early, in my opinion. But my job became returning books to their proper place on the shelves for the library. I became quite proficient at good old Dewey Decimal at the ripe old age of seventh grade. Not surprisingly, my aunt was quite the reader. For her whole life, even after retirement, I would guess most librarians are. But Eugenia was always started every book by reading the last chapter first. I, it makes you want to gasp, doesn't it? <laughs> that blows my mind. I mean, what's the point of reading the book? Now, there was one show that Russ and I binged that was so gruesomely gory that I found a website that detailed the happenings of each episode. And I read every episode thoroughly before watching it. But that was just so I could know when to leave the room when the rough part started. Like, I knew they were gonna cut the boy's hand off at the end of the chase, but Russ didn't want to know, so I didn't spoil it for him. But when I would get up and leave the room, you pretty much knew that something sinister was just about to happen. But my aunt, why did she do that? I know why I did it. Why did she do that? My sister-in-law, who was an elementary school librarian, said that it is the cardinal sin of librarians to read the last chapter first. I don't really get the point of reading the book if you know how it's going to end before you even start. Maybe that's why I love this story from Luke so much. Jesus taught best by telling good stories, and I know I love nothing more than a good, happily ever after story. But this fig tree parable, well, I kind of want to know how it ends. Maybe another reason I've come to love this story so much is our new relationship with fig trees. You're probably tired of hearing about it and eating it all the time. But uh, four years ago, we downsized our house. We left the house that we raised our sons in and we downsized the house and upsized the yard and the amenities. That part was an accident, but we have come to love it immensely. Our backyard is a bit like an oasis for us. We step out there and it's like a, a retreat center. You should come sometime. Not right now. <laughs> we, we've got a lot, there's a bathtub on the back patio. Don't come right now. We're in a remodel. Don't come. But in the middle of our backyard is the biggest fig tree I've ever seen. I checked it the other day and the first signs of life are beginning to show though I really worry about that super cold night we had last week, that freeze better not mess up our July and August fig haul. I've noticed the fig wasps are back, making their nests all around our house. We do not tear them down. If you come visit us, do not destroy the wasps. 
We have never been stung, but we cannot destroy them because they pollinate the fig tree. And we'll do just about anything to make sure the figs produce. I guarantee you, if there comes a year when the figs don't produce, we will not cut it down. We will indeed give it another year, just like Jesus told us to. So here's some questions for us today. What have you given up on? Who have you given up on? What needs another year? Or another month? Another week? Just another day? When have you quit too soon? Here's some more questions. How attached are you to outcomes? Do you have to know how things are likely going to end before you even begin? I see people like punching each other and side-eyeing spouses like she's talking to you. <laughs> I was in a board meeting last week for Nurse Family Partnership and the leader of the organization was informing us about some very exciting programs and initiatives that are being implemented. I mean, just the energy in the room, we were just kept applauding. Great plan, love it, good idea. In the course of her report, she said, we are willing to give these ideas a try and we are okay with failure. Hmm. How okay with you with failure? Are you willing to risk something big not knowing the outcome? How about these questions? How comfortable are you with mystery? I'm talking about the uppercase M mystery, like God kind of mystery. We have an insatiable desire to understand and make sense of things. We like explanations that we can understand and that make perfect sense. In our Lenten sermon series on temptation, this is today's temptation that the text points us to to understand, the temptation to explain, the temptation to make sense of everything. This temptation can often lead to really bad theology in our desperate attempts to explain everything about the unexplainable. I think we must be trying to rescue God when we do this. But God does not need our help on this. Let me relieve you of that stressor. You do not have to rescue God. As a matter of fact, I have a feeling God wishes we would just stay out of it. I have a feeling God would be very comfortable with us saying, hmm, I don't know how God works in the world. Because that's the truth. I have suspicions, I have hopes, I have experience that lead me to think one way. But when people fill in the blanks of unknowing with really bad answers like, God needed another angel, and other horrible answers, it's no wonder the church is in decline. 
Who wants to follow and serve a God like that? We need to incorporate an affinity for mystery. But how do we balance a progressive intellectual pursuit of faith that is bathed in mystery? And I am all for an intellectual progressive pursuit of faith. But I think the key is that the pursuit of understanding must be bathed in mystery. It's a delicate balancing act. I think theology, the study of God, is fascinating. In my personal pursuit of the study of God, I have grown more connected to God. The more I know, the more I want to know. The more I understand, the more I want to understand. The more I think, the more I ponder, the more I am linked to God. The ahas I have had over the course of my life of study, wow. Those ahas began for me as a college student and a religion minor. It led me to seminary where my mind was blown almost daily by what I was reading and the ideas presented by professors and the late night chats with fellow students and friends. And then over the course of 32 years of ministry, like I actually went back to my ordination thing to see how long it had been and did the math on my, count, on my phone. 32 years of ministry in the church, I have found that the end of my learning and understanding is nowhere in sight. So I'm totally on board with seeking understanding and clarity and more and more and more ahas. But I often worry that progressives don't embrace mystery enough. I think the quote in the morning, in the opening meditation, sums it up best. Try to love the questions themselves. A rabbi once asked a deep question and he sat a rabbi was once asked a deep question and he sat pondering for a long time. The person who asked the deep question said, are you not going to give me an answer, rabbi? To which the rabbi replied, oh no, that's much too good of a question for an answer. What are your questions? Are you comfortable with mystery? Now let us not use mystery as a cop-out. Oh, it's beyond my understanding. I don't want to work that hard to make sense out of everything or anything, so I'll just leave it to God and trust. Obviously, there are so many things we will never know, but I'm convinced that it's the pursuit of knowing that perhaps pleases God the most. It's why I love the fig tree story so much. Give it another year. We have no postscript to what happened. I love, love, love Micah's ending. Did that fig tree produce fruit after a year? Micah says yes. Was it eventually cut down because it didn't do its job? Or, this is my ending, 
a year later, there was still no fruit. And the gardener said, give it another year again. You can't read the last chapter of this story because we're still writing it. With every action we take, with every word we speak, with every listening ear and caring heart we offer, with every hand up and with every hand out, we are writing the ending to the story of the fig tree. My poor aunt must be turning over in her grave not knowing the end of the story. So perhaps the question becomes, how do we want the story to end? And what are we going to do to bring that ending to fruition? I have a sneaking suspicion that God is sitting on the edge of God's seat, waiting and watching and keenly interested to see what we are going to do about anything and everything. And if I'm right, then that means that all the questions we have for God are likely the exact same questions God has for us. Perhaps you are the answer to someone's prayer about where they will get their next meal. Perhaps we are the answers to the many questions of the universe, from affordable housing to climate change to wars and rumors of wars. We turn to God and say, where are you, God? While God is turning to us and saying, where are you, my children? Do you not see the need? What, my children, are you going to do about it? With God's help, may we do something about anything. Let us not give up. Let us give it another year in partnership with God, leaning into mystery while doing justice and showing mercy and walking humbly with our God. May it be so.